Welcome to the Postpartum Wow, the show where moms share their raw, unfiltered postpartum moments. I'm your host, Sarah Allen, and I'm a first-time mom who was completely broadsided by postpartum depression and anxiety. I'm here to show the not-so-pretty side of becoming a parent, and I hope you hear something that resonates with you because, let's be honest, the postpartum experience is nothing like we imagined. But along with the struggles come glimpses of hope. So buckle up and hold on tight, and let's get to it. Hello, hello again, friends. Welcome back to the Postpartum Wow. I have got a very, very special guest here with me today, you guys. This is Nisha Salisbury. She has been in the healthcare industry for over 18 years, and she's always had a strong desire to be in a field where she could help as many people as possible. So nursing was the career of her choice uh, from a very early age. So she's a in that journey, she specialized in uh, geriatrics as well as labor and delivery, and she now works full-time with her husband, Dr. Ken Berry, and they bring information to the masses now on how to optimize your health through nutrition, and she herself has personally um, suffered with Hashimoto's disease and infertility, and she's here today to share with us her mommyhood experience and postpartum recovery. And I, for one, am very excited to to speak with her uh, because I've been a follower of her and her husband for the past six years working on my own health and wellness journey. So without further ado, you guys, this is Nisha. Say hello. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So before we get too deep into the episode, I want to put out my normal uh, disclaimer and trigger warning. Um, I am not a medical professional. Nisha, on the other hand, is. So um, any thoughts and opinions that I express are solely my own. Uh, Just please do not take them as medical advice. Um, And trigger warning, if you are currently in the throes of postpartum depression or anxiety or perinatal mood disorders, uh, please be mindful that this episode will contain topics of that nature. So uh, Nisha, to go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself outside of the the bio that I just told the listeners. <laughs> yeah, well, I am 37 years old, registered nurse. I've been in healthcare a very long time. Uh, my favorite areas that I worked in were labor delivery, postpartum, mother baby. That's where I thrived. I loved helping moms bond with their babies and Breastfeed. I'm actually a lactation counselor as well. And I have two sweet babies of my own, seven-month-old little girl and a three-year-old little boy, and they are crazy. So I'm full in the throes of the toddler tantrums and the teething, and it's it's a bit chaotic in my house right now for sure, but we're having fun over here. And uh, yeah, now I do health coaching online, and I focus on moms who are trying to improve their health through autoimmune issues or trying to get proper nutrition while they're breastfeeding. And that's where I focus my energy right now. Wonderful. Yeah. And you kind of mentioned in the bio that you sent me that you kind of chose this profession simply because you've, you've always had a strong desire to, to help as many people as you could. Well, is that, was there ever like, you mentioned Hashimoto's and infertility, but was there was that the turning point that you decided that, okay, this is for sure the profession for me for like the rest of my, my existence? Yeah. So I've always wanted to be a nurse since uh, as far back as I can remember early high school, I wanted to be a nurse. I just felt called to it. I felt like it was a meaningful occupation where I could actually make a difference go to work, help people and come home and feel like I had done something worth doing. And as time went on, um, I'm sure if you're out there and you're in healthcare, you understand what I'm where I'm coming from. The system is just not that great, and it's gotten worse over the past few decades. I'm sure. And I saw a lot of diseases, and uh, just overall, healthcare was not health care; it was sick care. I'm sure you've heard that before. And it was very frustrating to go into work every day and know that there was a way to help people. And I wasn't allowed to talk about it and uh, see pills 
and nutrition guidelines be given to these women in particular. And they had no idea that what they were being given was maybe not the best way for them to go forward in their health journey, and especially with the risk of postpartum depression on the rise and a lack of education when it comes to breastfeeding and lack of support for women who want to breastfeed. And it was just frustrating. And then when I did get my diagnosis, I uh, had to go through in, in vitro to get pregnant the first time. And my hospital also shut down all about the round, around the same time. And so I took a step back and I was like, you know, I think I can do some stuff online. I was doing blogging and I was making pretty decent, about the same as I was being a nurse. So I was like, you know, I need to take a break. I'm going to go through all this. IVF stuff is going to be stressful. I'll just help my husband work at the clinic and then his clinic burned down. And that right there was a real turning point for both of us. We felt like we were just being guided towards doing uh, a different type of healthcare. And we were able to reach so many people via social media that we weren't be able to do at the clinic. We could see probably 50 patients a day at the clinic. I could see five women at the hospital that I could help. But online, we were able to see thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people on a live stream and really answer questions, obviously not medical advice, but at least guide them in a direction where they can educate themselves and understand um, some lies that were being told in the healthcare community and really dive down as educators and um, basically mentor people to what we had found personally and for these people to find these things out on their own. And yeah, that's that's what I find the most uh, compelling about your social media presence with with you and Dr. Barry is that you you've it's like you said, you are educators and you take it very seriously as as providing some guidance. And I know I'm one of thousands, if not millions of people who come to a point in their health journeys where they are desperate and tired of whatever the standard is and go and do research on their own. And I, I know from personal experience, it was because of that that effort that you both put forward that I found the best health I possibly could. And I know several others who and that was the exact same experience. So uh, and for listeners who are not exactly familiar with uh, with their social media presence, uh, Nisha and Dr. Barry they um they they spearhead the the I don't know if it's a campaign or if it's a, a slogan but the proper human diet is is what they use and it refers to it's a health spectrum of nutrition in regards to the low carb keto carnivore realm it so to speak if if you're familiar with those terms but like I said, personal experience, that's how I came across them was it was exactly like Nisha said I I was tired of of being prescribed medications or being written off simply because I didn't fit a certain norm or whatever and took matters in my own hands. So uh, I know it was kind of a sidetrack, but before I got <laughs> too, too into the meat and potatoes, I, I, I did want to at least mention uh, that and express my gratitude toward, toward you both. Um, you. So in, in regards to like you, you were mentioning in vitro, like, so before you even started that journey, what expectations of motherhood did you have before that started? Um, I think I had a realistic expectation. I even before I knew I was going to go through infertility troubles, it does run in my family, but I also plan to put off <clears throat> getting pregnant as much as I could anyways, you know, within my control. Till I had went through school and traveled a little bit and, and done the selfish things that I wanted to do in my 20s. I was very uh, self-aware when it came to who I am as a person, and I was not ready. I'm sure if I had been thrown into motherhood, I would have adapted as many women do. But I, I really took seriously the amount of responsibility that comes with having an entire human depend on you for everything. And I really came in to uh, getting wanting to get pregnant with these expectations of my life is never going to be the same. It is not, it will not be mine probably ever again, but for at least 18 years. 
And I was very um, serious about some things that I probably should have just relaxed about <laughs> and uh, wanted to make sure I was doing things ancestrally. And I was very serious about breastfeeding. That was my number one thing was that I wanted to make sure that I can successfully breastfeed. I, I went through all the steps. I had consultations with the breast uh, lactation consultant prior to even being um, in my ninth month of pregnancy. I really took that seriously. And, but if none of us have any clue what we're getting ourselves into until that baby's in our life and we're like, wow, okay. Yeah, this is, this is crazy. And, uh, so I think I had realistic expectations, but just like any woman, we have no idea what it's like until we're in the throes of it. And, and every day is different and every stage is different and every milestone is different and every child is different. And I was definitely not prepared for all of that. <laughs> yeah, I was having a conversation with my husband yesterday because it was so funny. Our daughter's uh, first birthday is in two weeks. And on the Facebook memories, it showed uh, some of the maternity photos that we had taken a couple weeks before she was born. And I was like, oh, look at our dumb and naive faces. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, Aren't we yeah. cute? Uh-huh, exactly. But he res he responded back. He's like, I don't think we were dumb or naive. I think we were just ignorant. You know, I feel right. like we we yeah. had a pretty, pretty decent, you know, self-awareness of ourselves. It's just, how can you explain that to anybody who's never been through it? Mm -hmm. You can't. It's it's a, definitely something you have to experience. And I think all of us experience it differently, too. So it's just, we can get each other's struggles, but we each struggle in our own way. And motherhood is just a trip. <laughs> oh, so much. So and, and in regards to those expectations, um, can you tell us a little bit about like, okay, so in vitro was successful, you, mm -hmm. you and your husband, your family were preparing for this bundle of joy. Then the reality hit. How in contrast was that reality to those expectations? So I had a lot of trauma happen during my pregnancy that I think really disconnected me from a lot of things that I would have processed normally. Uh, so like I said, Ken's clinic burned down. I was uh, eight, nine weeks pregnant when that happened. And uh, that was a huge trauma and obviously shook up our entire life. And then we dealt with a lot of stuff after that when it came to, you know, people saying things and just throwing our names in the mud. And then when I was nine months pregnant, uh, three weeks before I delivered, our house burned down. Yeah, and we were pretty sure that it had been done. Like someone had actually burned that house down. We had no proof. And, and uh, the TBI was investigating. I actually had to go and be questioned at the police department, they questioned both of us. They questioned me for two hours while I was having contractions. Uh, All while nine so months a lot pregnant. Of, yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. So I think I had a huge disconnect there with things that I would have been normally doing in the weeks prior to baby coming that I was not able to mentally wrap my head around because I was so consumed with the other things going on. And I actually really got to a point where the I was depressed. I was prenatally depressed instead of postnatal. Um, and it was really bad. Um, so to the point where I was thinking really, really dark thoughts and things that you don't think a mom who's fixing to have her very first baby that she's worked so hard to get to that point, all the things that I did to get pregnant and to have a baby. Those are not things you see a woman thinking. It was not, obviously not normal. Uh, I couldn't control it. It was all these things happening to me. And it was just setting me up, I think, for the delivery that I had, which was a very traumatic delivery. Mm, yeah. And I can't, I was just, I was trying to picture, picture myself in that scenario the weeks prior to my delivery. And I mean, that alone was was overwhelming. I can't imagine what what that experience would have been. So, um, were you 
were you or diagnosed or just it, with your own experience, you you knew that you were suffering from depression, <clears throat> pre, prenatal depression? Yeah. So I, I didn't know at the time that it had a name or anything. And I wasn't really I didn't tell anybody what I was thinking, not even Ken. I would just stay awake at night and like between the hours of 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. I would just cry and cry and cry and cry and think all these things. And then I would pull myself together during the day. And so I was functioning from the outside. So no one knew that I was going through all of this because I was trying to play the strong part. And that's just how I cope with things. I'll push through them. I laugh. I'm I'm, I'm an inappropriate laugher. So if something bad is happening and I laugh, that's not because I actually think it's funny. It's because I just cannot help it. And so I process things in a way where maybe on the outside, it looks like I'm totally fine. But on the inside, I'm breaking apart. And so no one knew I was going through this except for me because I didn't tell anybody. And I regret that. But at the time, I I had nothing like that had ever happened to me. I didn't know how to process it. And I had just, I was just overwhelmed. I had no idea what to do except for wake up the next day and move forward, wake up the next day and move forward. So it's, it, yeah, it was a very dark time and it really, yeah, I feel like things were stolen from me with that pregnancy. And uh, I still have a lot of trauma that I'm working through, I'm sure, that comes with all of that. Sure. And do you think do you think some of that contributed or carried over into the birth? Like kind of tell us a little bit about um, like the birth experience. And was that even more traumatic? Right. So I think, yes, I had a very traumatic labor. Um, I did go into labor on my own. My water broke and things moved along quite fast for a first time mom. Um, And I think keeping everything inside had built up a lot of tension inside of my body. And so I don't think I was as relaxed as I should have been. And I I was not, I didn't feel safe also, which if you know anything about labor and delivery, that's something that really helps the mom's womb to open is that safety and the feeling of I'm safe and the calm and all of that. And I think I felt inside like I was not safe. And so I dilated very quickly by the time I got to the uh, midwife's, I did a birth center birth the first time, I was already dilated to seven. And that was within two hours of my water breaking. I got in the tub and I didn't bond with my midwife, which I think that was maybe 50% me and 50% that she's not a great midwife. There's no, you know, there's bad ones and they're good ones, just like everything. And we just did not connect and she was wearing perfume. It made me puke. Um, I threw up. I had hyperemesis through my entire labor. They didn't start an IV. Um, I kept drinking water, but it would come right back up. And I didn't say I didn't want an IV. I don't know what happened there, but there was no IV. And I got dehydrated. I started having muscle cramps. I couldn't push effectively. His head got stuck. I pushed for two and a half hours at the birth center. Um, and I mean... I had puke in my hair. I was on every every position that you could possibly be in. And since I was at the birth center, I was on a time. I had a clock and it was running out. And they said, you know, you've, run up, you've used up all your time. You can't stay here. We have to transfer you to Vanderbilt, which was only a quarter of a mile away. However, <laughs> I had to walk from full. Okay, he is literally in my birth canal, stuck. So I have to get up and I have to walk from the birth center to the car, get in the car, ride in traffic in Nashville, down to Vanderbilt, get out of the car. No one met me with a wheelchair. Walk to the elevator, ride up the elevator, walk to the labor and delivery and get on, get on the bed. All of this fully dilated, baby's head and birth canal, full blown contractions. And that that all happened in the span of six to seven hours because I went so fast and I was dehydrated, like all this stuff by the time I got there. And I was so I wanted a natural birth so bad that when I got there, I was just so tired. I couldn't do anymore. I was just like, give me an epidural. I'm done tapping out. 
I can't take this. And then I think everything just came to a head at that point. And I was like, I can't, I can't do what I want to do. And this is not even where I want to be. So I did, I got an epidural and they let me try and push for another hour. I just could not push him out. I was done. I was out of energy. There was nothing left of me. And so um, they gave me three options, a vacuum delivery via vaginal delivery, uh, forceps vaginal delivery or a C-section. And I said, okay, well, what if the vacuum pops up? Because I am a labor delivery nurse, so I have experience with all these different delivery methods. And I said, what if it pops off? How many times do you give me? And she said, one. I said, okay. And then what? She said, then section. I said, okay. Do you feel like you can get the baby out with forceps? And she said, yeah. I said, well, I don't, I don't want to see section. Let's just do forceps, which is traumatic. If you've ever seen a forceps delivery, it is. Uh, we used to call it a vaginal C-section because it is so brutal that it is is very bad. So, uh, so I had a forceps delivery. I had a third degree tear and I had a tear backwards and inside. So I had like two tears from the forceps. My baby's head was huge and he was crooked. So she had to rotate him and then deliver him. So I had a huge tear. Uh, he was bruised to kingdom come on his little head. And uh, that's not where the trauma ends. So then because I breastfed him, and we did, we did great successfully, but he had bruising, which increases bilirubin. And uh, so when they tested his bilirubin, he was high. And so they wanted to <clears throat> put him in a little blanket and uh, retest him. And I wanted to go home. And I knew what, I knew it was high bilirubin because he was bruised. And because he was breastfeeding and I knew there was a reason for it, but they didn't care what I had to say. And so I said, okay, how about we wait so many hours, then you can retest him. So they said, okay, that's fine. And they prick his little foot and, you know, that's not fun for baby. And they lose the sample. You're it kidding. Takes them, it takes them four hours to get the balls to tell me that they've lost it. Cause I kept saying, when am I getting these results? I know it doesn't take a long time. It's a very fast test. You just run it. And you get the numbers back fairly quickly. It's not a test that takes a long time. Finally, they send in somebody that wasn't even my nurse to tell me that they had lost it. And I, of course, was very upset. I said, okay, we're going home. And uh, we will go to the pediatrician tomorrow and follow up. So that's what we did. And uh, the birth injury that I had ended up not healing properly i had some excoriation and i had so much pain i could not stand up for longer than a minute i could not sit down i had to lay sideways i couldn't hold the baby unless i was in a very specific position so we didn't really get to bond the way that we should have because i was in so much pain and i kept telling the midwives, I'm in pain. This is not normal. I was bawling and I'm a very tough individual. Okay. And they kept saying, well, you're healing fine. You're healing fine. And finally, I think by day seven, Ken was like, we're going to an OB specialist. We're just, we're going to go. And so she's the one that was like, yeah, you are going to be in pain because this is not healing. Right. And so she put some silver medication on there and it started healing nearly immediately. So I had the although I had him in October, I was still having issues at Christmas with my pain and my hips and the healing of my tear. And so it took me months of time to heal where it should have took me a few weeks to, you know, six to eight weeks to heal. And so that along with everything that had happened just a few weeks before I had the baby, I there's weeks that are missing for me when it comes to bonding with my baby I slept a lot because I was had to be on pain medication and I didn't want to be because I hate it and uh, that made me constipated I, I had that tear it was just a circle of just magnesium and my postpartum the first time was a real um, horrible experience the only good thing I got was that my baby and I were very successful at breastfeeding. And that's the one thing I got that I wanted out of that, which I was so grateful for. And 
you know, eventually I was able to hold him and be with him and feed the way that I wanted to, but I was, you know, robbed of several, really two months worth of that good bonding that you get. And I didn't understand that I had missed that until my second baby. And I realized how much I had missed out on because I got it with her. So yeah, that first labor was really not what I wanted. That's for sure. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And I've heard so many stories of of women, yeah, being robbed of of what and not necessarily in any anybody's fault. It's just the unnecessary right. circumstances they find them, mm-hmm. themselves in. And I guess my question for there is knowing what you know now and having gone through that, would you have gone back and chosen a C-section? Yes, 100 percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think. I would have been better able to cope with that type of delivery um, because it is the same pretty much unless something crazy happens in delivery. It is a very clean cut. You know, the surgeons are very good at it. They do it multiple times a day. Not that that's a good thing, (laughs) but they are very good at it. They're good at being a surgeon. So the incision I think would have healed appropriately. And I think I would have, also expected to have that type of um, recoup and 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 the injury. I, I knew what that entailed. Whereas a force of delivery, it could go good, it could go bad. You could have a little tear, you could have a large tear, and a C-section is a C-section pretty much, with the exception of very few things happening. And I was just not prepared for the healing process. And uh, I think with a C-section, I would have really known what to expect. And not, and I think also I would have immediately, if there was infection or something going on, that would be very obvious. And a doctor or the midwife would have been able to say, oh, this is obviously something's going on here. But I went to the midwife three times before she finally was like, okay, I'll send you to an OB if you want to go. But it looks like everything is fine. Goodness. Well, and I, I have to applaud you because you've advocated for yourself from what I heard on multiple multiple occasions. And it makes me sad that there are so many moms out there that feel like they're trapped and they can't mm-hmm. speak up for themselves. Um, you know, thankfully, my my experience was rather uncomplicated. And I, I was blessed to find providers that I did bond with and could be completely honest with and was comfortable in that arena. But my goodness, I, it breaks my heart to hear so many, so many moms who they're afraid to speak up because they're simply just, well, it's, it is what it is, you know, they're just they're just told mm-hmm. what to do and they roll with it. But right. I think it's I think the the I think the realm is getting better though. I think there's yeah. it's it's definitely not what it used to be. There's there's enough, thankfully, online resources now and enough people speaking up of saying, mm-hmm. Hey, you know, you have you can have it may seem like you don't have control over your situation, but there are ways to gain control. Um Yes. I know easier said than done, but um I think, yeah, I think that's, that's excellent. And I think uh, some moms will, will definitely benefit from hearing, from hearing your, your story on that front. Yeah. Women know when something's wrong. And if, if you feel something is wrong, then you don't stop until someone listens to you. And that's just all there is to it. And I don't care how loud you have to get or how many times you have to show up or call or how you know, rude, because it's your body and they work for you. And this is your health and you have every right to fight for the answers that you need. Preach it. I don't think that gets said enough. That's wonderful. Uh, So in during that, you touched a little bit about how you went through quite a bit of trauma pre prenatal, postnatal, um, and then in those those two months of, of physically healing, did you ever or did you come to a point with your son where you kind of just had to take a, a step back and experience this postpartum wow, quote unquote, of this is my life now. Someone is completely dependent on me. It's not what I expected. Holy cow. Again, I think because I had so many other factors, I wasn't even able to have a wow when it came to him because everything else overshadowed what I should have been focusing on. I was I was in pain that was constantly on my mind. 
I couldn't sleep. I, I couldn't rest. I was paranoid. Um, you know, anytime a fire engine came down the road, I got triggered. I was constantly checking the oven. I was constantly checking, you know, if something had a candle. I was just, is there, you know, if we needed to get out and there was a fire, how would we get out? Like, I was just so constantly obsessed with other things because of all of the trauma before he even got into my arms that he kind of got a back seat. And I, I just was like, yep, wake up, feed him cuddle hand him to my mom hand him to ken because i can't hold him because i'm in pain and cry because i can't hold him because i feel bad i feel like a bad mom and um so i would work out ways that had the boppy thing and i would prop him up so that i could actually look at him and interact with him but that you know i missed out on a lot of that holding time that i wanted you know i wanted to carry so i had the baby carriers and i would put him in there but I couldn't stand up for longer than 15 minutes. I would have to take him right back out. So all of these things and being angry about that and going through basically the steps of, um, you know, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, like all those things. I was going through all of that in multiple areas because I was going through that about the clinic in the house. I was going through that about not getting the labor and delivery and birth scenario that I wanted. I was going through that about having pain and not being listened to. So I had all these traumas that I was trying to work through while also becoming a first-time mom. And it was just overwhelming. I don't even, I didn't have any time until he was probably eight months old where I was like, holy crap, I have a baby. And then I started like, you know, all the nuances of motherhood kind of took on. But my mom and Ken really we kind of th- split the baby three ways unless it was feeding time because I was unable to participate in the way that I normally would be. My goodness. And did you ever like, you mentioned you saw an OB, like, was there any kind of follow up or, or I mean, and you don't have to, I mean, you don't have to go into details if you don't want to, but um, did any professional at any point say, hey, this could potentially trigger even more perinatal mood disorders do we need to seek treatment yeah so no actually (laughs) and you would think that that would have been like on my chart red flag and nobody ever said that to me after the first delivery ken and i had discussed it because i had said you know i feel like i may be at risk for postpartum depression because of all of this stuff that I went through and I need you to keep an eye on that. And I never had extreme postpartum depression. I mostly just was in pain and and miserable with myself, but it never was reflected with baby or thoughts of danger or harm or anything that some women do go through. And, but we kept a tab on that, me and him together. And, um, so he would understand, you know, just like we all get tired in the first weeks, like we're just tired. You, you need to take him for a few hours. I need to rest. Or at night when he would wake up, he was a horrible sleeper. He would not sleep to this day. The kid does not sleep through the night, you know, and I would reach a point where I was like, you need to get up. You need to change his diaper. You need to take a shift. You know, I'll feed him, but you got to see them and yada, yada, yada. So we worked through that. The odd thing is with Bonnie, with my second, the midwives and the OBs really, really listened to me and really focused on my emotional trauma and the things that I went through with my first delivery, where the first time people just kind of skated over that, almost like they didn't want to acknowledge it because they thought they might be blamed for it or... They might need to take some responsibility for some things that happened, and it really was not addressed. They were mostly concerned with my birth injury and saying, you know, you're fine. It looks good. But they, I never once got the question, how are you dealing with this emotionally? That was never addressed um, by anybody in the clinic or the hospital. So, But second time around, I was really taken aback at how much they cared to listen to my story, no matter how long it took me to tell it or 
uh, how much detail I wanted to go in, they, they would listen to me and because they really wanted to make sure that they were addressing those things because they seemed to understand that that could affect this delivery too with the, you know, me feeling scared. And I was very, very scared in the first few months that I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. And that was kind of, that's a great segue into my next section of, uh, you know, what were, what were some of the key differences between uh, your first birth experience and your second? And it sounds like that was a big one of you just, you did, did you have different providers? So yes, instead of going to the birth center, I went to straight to Vanderbilt because I actually had a wonderful experiment with experiment experience with the nurses and the providers at Vanderbilt, with the exception of them losing the blood sample. Uh, but the provider, my nurse was amazing. Uh, my OB that delivered Beckett was great. She really took the time to explain things to me. She never rushed me through any decisions. She even offered to let me push for longer because Beckett was not in distress. Every His strip looked amazing. We were both doing fine. She even gave me that option. She was like, you don't have to make a decision now. You can keep trying if you want to. And they were very supportive at Vanderbilt. <clears throat> and I felt uh, safe there. And I don't know if that comes from me coming there as a labor and delivery nurse from a hospital setting that I was just more familiar with that. And I felt like I was around peers. I don't really know why I felt more comfortable there, but I did. And so I just made the decision to go ahead and go straight to Vanderbilt in case something did happen. I at least wouldn't have to walk down the hall, get in a car, drive down the road, get up, go through the elevator. I wouldn't have to do that. I'd already be at the hospital. Yeah. And that's that's the same thing I told my husband, because it's like, if, okay, if we're doing this again, I, I'm staying put because we had to drive 10 minutes from our house to the birth center. And I was fully uh -huh. dilated also. And I was just like, no, no, no. Yeah. So, totally so I, I, I knew I could control that. I didn't, I wouldn't have to be transferred. So I, I basically went through the list and I was like, what can I control? I can control that I don't have to be transferred for if something happened. And so that's the first thing that I did. <clears throat> now, when I, I, this was a, surpri a surprise pregnancy because I thought I couldn't get pregnant on my own. So I went through a real um, transition of, I just started crying because oh my God, I got pregnant on my own. Then I started crying because, oh my God, I don't know if I can do that again. Uh, what, you know, oh my God, it was so horrible. The pain and all of the bad things came flooding back and I was pretty depressed the first trimester. And uh, again, the midwife asked me straight out, she said, are you, how are you coping with this? Because I know you had a hard delivery and this was an unexpected pregnancy. Um, do you want to talk about that? And are you having any emotions that, you know, you've, you want to talk through? And I was like, yes, actually. Yes, I am. Thank you for validating that fear and making me not feel like a jerk of a mom for going through this process of knowing that I could have to go through what I went through again. And uh, she was like, okay, let's talk about it. And I know, I guess it was in my chart how bad my delivery was because she was like, why aren't you going back to the birth center? I saw that you went there the first time. What happened? Tell me exactly what happened. And so I told her and she brought in two other nurses and was like, you need to tell them what happened. She said, has anyone contacted you to talk about this? And I was like, no. She said, I'm going to call some people because there were some mistakes that, you know, not that, not that anybody did it on purpose, but some things that maybe need to be flagged for future reference if a mom is going through what you went through, that we can make sure that doesn't happen again to you or anybody else. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. So I wrote a document of everything that happened in my birth story and they sent it to somebody. I don't know if anything came with that or not, but I felt seen. And that was really the most important thing that um, at the point where, I finally went for my ultrasound. That's when the midwife talked to me about this. I had worked through everything and it kind of just come to the conclusion that I wasn't going to force myself to do something that I wasn't ready to do, which was to make a decision on whether I was going to do natural delivery or epidural or what birth plan I was going to have. I was in the first trimester and there was no reason to stress out about that. And I needed to just enjoy each section of the pregnancy. And so that's how I dealt with that, because I knew if I just tried to take on 
the whole pregnancy and the end game and the birth plan all at once that I would just get overwhelmed. And that would probably knock me, you know, into this spiral of emotion again. So that's how I dealt with that. Yeah. And you you bring up a good point, too, for, for our listeners is that, you know, just because you experienced one very traumatic birth doesn't mean you have to go through that again. I love how you pointed out mm-hmm. that you you found a midwife, you found a provider who was willing to validate and listen and be an advocate for you in creating a positive experience going forward. And I'm assuming that's that's what happened that, uh, you know, you can give details about the second birth, but um, I guess the, I, I, I would assume knowing what I know about my own experience and hearing other moms is that if you are comfortable with your provider and it also sounds like you bonded with this midwife because she validated your experience, I imagine that that birth was night and day difference. Yes. So it was night and day difference. And the difference really was the groups. So there's two midwife groups at Vanderbilt. There's the birth center group. And then there's midwives of Melrose, which they're both from Vanderbilt, but they're not the same midwives. Um, But I did see a group of midwives and every single one of them was amazing. I couldn't pick which one delivered me. It was going to be whoever was on call. And I knew that going in, but I also knew the Vanderbilt nurses were amazing and that they were going to take good care of me. And then I also made the decision, which this, I think if I had made this decision with the first delivery, things would have been different, but I made the decision to get a doula. And uh, I bonded with her. And so I knew going in that even if I didn't get a midwife that I knew very well or had seen more than once, that my doula and I were on the same page and I had a woman that was not emotionally involved. Like Ken, of course, he was wonderful. He supported me. He did a great job. He's a freaking beast. But he's not a woman. And uh, a doula is trained in the ways to do what a nurse would love to do if she had the time and you were her only patient to put you in positions. And um, depending on how big the hospital is, some nurses just, uh, you know, have a postpartum load and a delivery load. You know, it depends on where you work. But I knew going in that the doula was going to be there to support me. And that gave me a sense of control over the support I was going to get, the decision-making process. And what I wanted and needed didn't need to come from a nurse. I needed someone to be there to coach me on my breathing, to maybe encourage me to go into a different position, to keep up with the time of my contractions, to do the things that I wanted to be done that can couldn't do because he should be focused on being there for me and just loving on me and hugging on me and doing the things I wanted him to do. And that really made all the difference in the world with me feeling good going into the labor room, even not knowing who the midwife was going to be, where, how long I was going to have her, were they going to change shifts? How long was I going to be in labor? I knew the doula was going to be there through the whole thing and I wasn't going to have to let her go. And that really, really helped me feel at peace and calm uh, in the weeks going into, you know, that time, am I going to go into labor? Am I not? Am I not? I knew for a fact I was going to have somebody there that knew what I wanted, that could communicate my needs and could coach me through the things for the natural delivery that I ended up making the decision that I did want to try again, which was a hard decision for me because of all the things I went through the first time. But I just was like, you need to trust your body and you need to understand that just because it happened one time doesn't mean it's going to happen again. Second delivery is almost always easier. You know these things. You're a labor and delivery nurse. You know, let go of the fear. And so I did. And I think that really made all the difference. But hiring a doula, I would do that again. If I only had the money for a doula and nothing else, I would pay for the doula. I agree with that statement wholeheartedly. In fact, I think I hired my doula before I even got my my <laughs> midwives and the rest of my care. Uh, because yeah, it was I knew it's like you said, it was a sense of control. It's like if all hell were to break loose and you know, I would become hysterical and then, you know, my poor husband's over there not knowing what to do. There is mm-hmm. another person who is of sound mind. Who is, yes. you know, she has some investment, but she's an objective third party that can be like, this is the plan. This is what she wants. This is not what she wants. Mm-hmm. 
and mm-hmm. would be my advocate and carry it out to the best of her ability. And she did that. Um, and not that I was pressured at any moment by anyone at Vanderbilt, even at the hospital. Hospitals get a bad name when it comes to natural delivery, but I had a wonderful experience and I was never pressured. But in the moments where I, they would ask me something because I went to the labor on my own, my water didn't break, but I was at five centimeters on my own. And uh, they came in and were like, what do you want to do? Do you want to start pit? Do you want us to break the water? Do you want to just labor on your own? And so I was kind of just sat there and I had a perfect labor. I was not in pain up until the point where I had to push. Like it was, I couldn't have asked for a better labor. But I kind of was in la-la land too. And so she would say, can you come back in just a minute and let her think about it? Is that okay? And they would always be like, yeah, that's fine. Yep. You take your time. Let us know when you're ready to make a decision. And, you know, we'll do whatever you want us to do. And so she she would have fought if she needed to, I know. But she at least, she just took the little itty bitty initiatives that I needed her to take because Ken was looking at me like, what do you want to do? And I was going, I don't know what I want to do. And she could read that and be like, okay, well, let's give her a minute, you know. She'll, she'll make a decision, you know, when she's ready. And everybody really worked as a team in my room. And I mean, I can't say good enough stuff about the experience that I had, which is the complete opposite of what I have to say about the first delivery. But yeah, I went very quickly with Bonnie too. I guess I just do that. That's just me. But <laughs> I went from dilated to two the week before my midwife appointment. I could tell I was in labor the night before my next midwife appointment, but I knew just something I was like, I can wait. It's fine. I'm going to sleep. And so then we followed up the next day at the midwife appointment. She checked me. I was five. She did a membrane sweep. And I was like, well, I guess you're going to have a baby today. Head on over. So we did. And I labored on my own for probably two and a half hours. We did dancing and squatting and all this stuff. And then I made the decision to go ahead and rupture my membranes and they did that and everything was good. And about an hour and a half after that, I pushed three times on the bed on all fours and pretty much delivered her myself. (laughs) It was the best experience of my life. Man, talk about a moment of redemption too. Right. Yeah. And you can see all this on YouTube, too. If you want to watch my labor and delivery story, we documented the whole thing because I didn't get to do that with Beckett because it was chaos. And I wanted I wanted to do it. And I wanted to show the empowerment of coming back from a traumatic birth and that it could happen and you could do it if you wanted to, you know, and be able to look back and see how freaking awesome I did. And just for Bonnie, you know, because at some point maybe she has a baby too and she wants to see the power of the human female body because it is amazing. It is very, very incredible. And I guess because of, of that positive experience, was your postpartum recovery a lot better too? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was a dream. I just was in euphoria, basically, for the weeks after Bonnie came and, uh, you know, complete opposite from how I was in the week following Beckett's delivery. We bonded amazing. I was, I just, the way that I bonded with her broke my heart for my son, that he didn't get that. Not that he remembers it, but I remember it. And uh, like I said, I didn't know how much had been taken from me in that first experience until I was able to see how it should have been. And so I did go through a series, you know, a a little, you know, I was up and down. It was like, oh, I'm so in love. And she's just so perfect and beautiful. And we did this together and look at us. We're such a good team. And uh, I mean, everything about her was perfect. And she breastfed well, just like he did. And I just, every now and then I'd get that twinge of guilt that I didn't get to do this with him. And I was, not thinking these things with him. I was in pain and I just, you know, it would just break my heart. But his experience is his own. And we bonded over a lot, that boy and me, because we went through those things together. And I say he saved my life because I think if I had not been pregnant with him during all the things that we went through, 
that time of my life definitely would have been a lot darker and a lot scarier and potentially deadly. And uh, I remember in that month leading up to his delivery, I would just talk to him and that's what kept me going. So he may not have gotten what Bonnie got, but he got something very special too because he saved my life. And what an incredible, I mean, as as hard as, as all of that was and as difficult as most of that as, as most of that was on you and your family, I, I just can't help but think of the incredible story that he's going to get to hear as he grows of, mm-hmm. of how he, yes, it was caused a lot of pain, but he helped mommy. He did. Exactly. So the story is different, but they're both powerful. And uh, I think it's, very important for him to know that. And I, I already tell him about every year on his birthday, we talk about his birth story and I tell him all these special things about how he came and, you know, I, you didn't want to come out of mommy because you just loved it so much in there. And we had to go in and get you. And I really make an effort to make sure that he sees that the good in the birth experience that I had with him. And he doesn't feel like he caused me any pain because it was the opposite. Sure, sure. And I think that's, I think, yeah, you, you've hit the nail on the head with that one. I think you've already, you've already done a great job of, of ex- letting him know the difference of, yes, this happened. It wasn't of your own doing. It's just, you mm-hmm. know, it's just life that happens. But this is the good that came from that. And I, I guess after your daughter's birth... And you were in. You mentioned you were in that that state of euphoria. Mm-hmm. Uh, did there ever come? I guess my the best way to question it would be: Did you have a postpartum wow with her? Of this is my life now. The chaos of raising two yes. children. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It hit me probably the week after we had been home, and. Um, I started to really understand how things were going to shift. And I really tried to prepare for the change with Beckett. We bought lots of books about baby brother, baby sister or whatever, and tried to prepare him for how much attention, um, you know, mommy was going to have to have on the baby, but I really made it his baby. So even while I was pregnant, I said, you know, your baby's kicking, your baby's kicking, talk to your baby. And so, which how old was she? What's the age gap? Uh, so he was three when she was born. Mm-hmm. So he could really understand a lot. Um, and uh, he really took to her in the beginning. And then, it, you know, she got really fussy and he was like, oh, she's annoying. And But now, I mean, they're just like best friends already. And she's crawling and he's trying to protect her. And of course, they get into it. Okay, they're siblings, of course. But he really, I tried to make sure that he didn't feel like something had been taken from him, but something had been added. And uh, so the wow, I guess, for me was the difference in, in both of my experiences and both of my children because she sleeps. He never slept. He laughs all the time. He was very stoic and serious. And and just understand the wow that I got to do it twice and that I got to redeem myself basically and my birth experience and that's really a rite of passage as a woman in my opinion i came out of that birth feeling like i could kick a building down i could do anything i was invincible and and that really took me to my core because i was like man i want every woman who wants to experience this to experience this and so I was really happy I documented that because it was the most powerful I've ever felt in my life. Yeah. And I, for those of you listening, I do encourage watching that, uh, the YouTube video that, that Nisha has, because I remember going back and watching it. Um, I was trying to remember if I, if I was pregnant at the time. It was before my daughter was born. But I remember watching it thinking, oh, is that how, is that how it's going to be? Because if so, that's, that's kind of awesome. But um yeah, so I guess my next question had to do with like with coping strategies amongst all of that. Um, was the biggest one, and you can correct me here, but was the biggest one when you met with the 
the second midwife when you were expecting your daughter and she validated your feelings? Yeah. So I went through, um, the, uh, around the time Beckett was one and a half, I started reading into stoicism and that helped me, um, basically understand that I needed to let go of things I had no control over and that, you know, anything that I had control over, I needed to take the steps to heal and mend. And so I started that healing process. But I think the real turning point was I, the minute she asked me all those questions and validated my feelings and, and it just kind of closed the loop for me to feel completely healed from that trauma that really closed the loop. And the, the minute I left that uh, session with her, I felt happy and, and hopeful. And I was much more optimistic going into the rest of my pregnancy because I felt like I had been seen and that I wasn't crazy. And those things were, you know, horrible. And they were as horrible as I felt like that they were. I wasn't being a drama queen that I had been through something traumatic and that it was okay to feel those things and it was okay to feel scared. And that from someone who didn't know me outside felt so just, I don't even know the word for it. It was just so comforting. And so I was able to really move forward after that and close the door on the trauma that came from the birth for sure. Mm, And that's, yeah, like I said, it is an absolute story of redemption. that I that I feel like was kickstarted at that point for you. Mm-hmm. And that's just, yeah, it's absolutely incredible to hear. And I appreciate you sharing. Um, so the last bit I wanted to ask you was going through knowing what you know now, and even your your professional history, what advice would you give your pre mom self? Hire a doula. <laughs> Hire a doula. Even if you're not going to do a natural delivery, hire a doula uh, because you're still, you'll, you will still be faced with questions, even if you are induced, even if you have an epidural, and it is just good to have someone there to support you and your partner. Uh, so hire a doula. Um, don't get caught up in the organic diaper, organic wife, organic this and baby stuff and focus on the stuff that is actually really the priority, which is your mental health, your physical health, your baby's health, the bonding experience, and having a real support system, whether you want to breastfeed or not, a support system for recovery is so important. If I hadn't had my mom and my dad and Ken with me in those weeks following my first delivery, things would have and could have been way worse for me. And so a support system through your entire pregnancy, your entire delivery, and your entire postpartum is the most important thing for you to prepare for. You need support. It takes a village. Get your village. Absolutely. And I think that's where, and and in analyzing my own experience too, I felt like I did a pretty good job preparing for pregnancy, delivery, but I did a piss poor job preparing for postpartum. You know, you like, and I think most of us I think do. most people, most people, they, they're hopeful. And it's like we were talking mm-hmm. about in the beginning of you don't know what to expect until you experience it. But I know for me personally, it was like, oh, yeah, I've, I have a history of, of mental, mental depression and things of that nature, but maybe it won't be so bad. You know, you try to be hopeful and think yeah. that it'll, it'll be okay, which I mean, it was okay, obviously, but I feel like I could have. I could have handled it way differently if I had taken the time to put as much effort into the postpartum preparation like I did. Yes. And And I really think that is uh, um, maybe, well, it's, I think this is 90% the provider issues that we have is that they only support you through the part that they feel involved in. And there's very little education when it comes to postpartum which is the fourth trimester. And and so you hear all these moms online, you hear all the doctors when you go to the clinic, 
you hear first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, and okay, you have the baby, you go home, and you're, you'll bleed for six weeks-ish, and you'll come back for a checkup. They do not address that fourth trimester in its entirety, which is the emotional um, roller coaster you'll be on because your hormones fluctuate so much. And, and, you know, breastfeeding and the support you need to successfully breastfeed and rest and sleep and having people there to help cook for you. You know, we in the States have a horrible postpartum culture. We just come see the baby and then we go away. We take a little picture. We post it. We saw the baby on Facebook. And that is just, we got to work on that as a culture because Asian cultures, like basically everybody but the States, take care of the moms after baby just like they would before a baby. They, they're there, the moms, the aunts, the cousins, they're cooking, they're cleaning, they're helping. And here, we just don't have that support. It, people just drop off the radar after they come and see the baby. And moms are left to fend on their own and feel like that they're not doing a good job because it's hard, but it's not their fault. It's that they don't have the support that we, as humans, we're made to have. We weren't meant to just have a baby and go on about our business. We, the women, were meant to stay around and help. As humans, we need that support, and uh, that that's just left on the table, and no one seems to address it in the clinic. I've never heard a midwife or a doctor in my my community. Not that there aren't good ones out there that do address it, but they just seem to forget that the mom needs to know that that's important too, especially first time moms, because this they don't know. They think that they're going to go home and things are just going to be hunky dory. And it's just, it's wonderful. And it's awful all at the same time. And it's something we really need to work on is helping moms prepare for that fourth trimester. And yes, that was, that was probably the biggest motivation of my starting this podcast was to make first-time parents aware that, yes, I'm not going to be able to describe everything to a T because everybody's experience is different. What I went through may not be what you go through. I hope it I hope it's not for your sake, but um, <laughs> there is there's a learning curve. And I think with that learning curve, at least this is the way I felt. I felt like I wasn't cut out for it because of how difficult of a time I was having. And I think that's where that, that lack of that's, that's where our culture is lacking. Like you mentioned, is that, mm-hmm. that lack of know-how that lack of experience of saying, Hey, it's going to be rough for a while. You need to take the time to build your support system. Whereas and I think because the providers yeah. drop off, we think, Oh, well, they must think that we can handle this on our own. So why do we feel so incapable Right. But also uh, there is a gap because uh, for several you know, decades, the delivery of babies was not what it's, thank God, natural delivery is coming back. You know, but for a while there was the sleep, they put you to sleep and you thrashed around and they're like, that was awful. Then it was C-section, 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 C-section. Then, you know, breastfeeding got thrown out, formula came in. And so we had this huge disconnect in the generations where the mom that's supporting her daughter isn't probably able to support her in the way that she would have if she would have experienced birth in the same way that her daughter is experiencing birth. And so that's why, thank God we have social media and like there's a bad and good to it, but women can find information, even if their moms can't provide it. Someone like you or myself, they can find, they're not alone. There are other women going through this. And so You know, we have a village on social media, which isn't the best kind of village, but at least um, you can relate to somebody and be like, okay, I'm not the only one going through this. It is hard and that's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. And just that validation, like you experienced Mm -hmm. of someone is here telling you, you're not a freak. What you're going through (laughs) is, is okay. There is a way to process it. So don't feel like you can or that you're slipping through the cracks because you are being seen. Yes, exactly. Alrighty. Well, we have hit the hour mark, Miss Nisha. Thank you so much for your, your, 
just sharing your experience. And I understand that going through or revisiting all that is is definitely not easy. And I I appreciate you very much for for hopping on and and being with us today. Um, so where can we follow you on social media and, and see what you guys are up to? Yeah, so I'm pretty much everywhere. I'm on YouTube. Uh, if you just Google my name, Nisha, N-E-I-S-H-A, I'm sure you'll have the links down below. Instagram and uh, Facebook, I'm not that active on, but I am there. And then within our private community, which is drberry.com slash community, I do pop-in lives where I answer questions about basically everything, nutrition, wellness, breastfeeding, postpartum, uh, anything that has to do with how to get through it. And uh, if you are trying to eat a proper human diet, we kind of touch on a little bit of everything in there. And then I also have a podcast that I never do. So (laughs) if you type in my name into Google, you might find that podcast. I think there's like five episodes, but eventually maybe one day I'll get back into that. But Sarah, thank you so much for having me. And I'm, I'm, happy to share my story if it can make another mom feel um, better about what they're going through, validate their feelings and let them know they're not alone. Wonderful. Wonderful. Yeah. Like, like Nisha said, we'll, uh, we'll stick her, her social media links in the show notes. Um, please uh, reference those for more info and be sure to check her out and Dr. Ken, see what they're up to. And thanks again for listening, you guys. Thanks for listening to the postpartum. Wow. If you like what you heard and you'd like to support this podcast, I'd love for you to subscribe and follow me on your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow me on my Facebook page at The Postpartum Wife. This way you'll be notified when new episodes are dropped every other Tuesday. Feel free to also leave a review sharing what you liked best, and this will help other listeners know what to expect when checking out this podcast. Until next time, friends, may your messy buns be on point and your coffee stay warm.